Season 2, Episode 2 of the Talking Ball Y'all Podcast. On this episode, we will talk to Pearl River Community College head football coach Ted Egger. Also, we will talk to several beat writers from around the state talking college football ahead of opening weekend. Hope you enjoy. This roundtable discussion is sponsored by Pearl River Community College, offering the first two years of any major and over 42 career and technical programs. Jeff, welcome to tonight's roundtable, my man, as we've got some high school football to discuss and also college football gets underway this weekend. A great time to be a sports fan here in South Mississippi and just to kind of tee it up for you, what went on locally high school football-wise? Well, this past uh, Friday night, uh, high school football, uh, we were a part of this game. It was friend versus friend, teammate versus teammate, ex-co-worker versus ex-co-worker in Poplarville at uh, Pearl River Central. Poplarville coming out on top of that one, 50-14, to 14 behind a big performance from Ahmad Bolton. Yep, all, uh, Ahmad Bolton. Uh, had a nice night, went over 170 yards rushing, a couple touchdowns. The defensive line uh, for Popperville was dominant in the performance. Barnes, Antonio Barnes, had excellent quarterback play there for Popperville. And then Kane and Ray with a big punt return, Holston with a touchdown catch. So Popperville kind of got well this week and really uh, returned to the form we're used to seeing the Hornets. Yep, and uh, after that win uh, last week against Pearl River Central, uh, Blue Devils, Popperville's going on the road. They're taking their talents just north of Hattiesburg, kind of northwest of Hattiesburg, and they're going to face the Seminary Bulldogs who come after off a win against Franklin County, 55-10. to 10. So uh, we'll be up there calling that action uh, for WRJW and also Pearl River Central will be on the road this week uh, facing Forest County AHS. Uh, both of them games, uh, kickoff is at 7 o'clock, pregame is at 6.30, and you can listen to – Clay Sweet, myself, and Jason Baker for the Popperville call. And you can also listen to Eli, uh, Scooter, and Jeremy Shesby on the PRC call. And both of them uh, are on WRJWradio.com and the WRJW app. Also last week, Picune traveled uh, to the coast to face the Iberville, big 6A opponent down on the coast. Picune coming up just a tad short on that one, 49-33. to 33. Uh, But – Looking at some numbers, talking to some people that went to the game, a lot of offense, uh, offensive numbers in that game, Clay. Yep, Picune rushed for over 500 yards. Jordan Rain went for over 230, and so got the offensive production you would think that would end in a win, but had a turnover near the goal line and were stopped, turned over on downs near the goal line. Two different spots where you think uh, Picune's going to get six because of touchdowns, they were turned away and then turned over. So uh, a disappointing loss uh, for Picune in some regards when you put up that kind of offensive production, but nothing to hang your head about. That's a tough 6A opponent, Deanverville now 2-0, and and that's a tough place to win. So Picune will go on the road to Pascagoula next week and look to get back on the winning track as they're now 1-1 one and one on the season. Yep, Picune at Pascagoula. Uh, pre-game airtime 6.30, kickoff 7 o'clock, and you can listen to Kerry Metzler, Todd Metzler, and Donald Balch on WRJW 1320 AM, WRJWradio.com, and the WRJW app. So that was last week. We're on to this week, Picune and Pascagoula. Also, big uh, another big game this past Saturday night. That was two Saturdays in a row. 
that the Hattiesburg Tigers has played uh, played football. Really don't see that a lot in high school. Most time it's Fridays, but they, they had two Saturday games back-to-back. Hattiesburg right there in uh, their home stadium beat the Hattiesburg, uh, beat Laurel 41-20 to behind a big night by number two, uh, Jer- uh, Gerard Connor. Went for big passing yards. I think it was 11 uh, for 19 for 119 and then had 31 carries for 218 yards and four touchdowns. So big offensive night uh, for Connor. Yep, Connor uh, explosive as we talked to Charlie Rogers uh, a few weeks back here on the podcast. He's a Memphis commit quarterback for them who has put up big, big numbers, uh, both of those wins as you described being on Saturday and Hattiesburg we saw them preseason some polls had them as high as number two in the state preseason and they have certainly looked apart uh Starkville the team that a lot of polls had at number one have have looked apart as they beat a good Oxford team this past Saturday 56 to 7 so some of these teams highly ranked in preseason polls walking it out and and really showing it early in the season West Point continues their winning ways Brandon has done what we thought they would do as we heard from Jake Wimbley uh, last week as they beat South Panola 42 to 21 this past week they've got a big game versus Clinton this coming week and uh, a team in the Pine Belt another team in the Pine Belt to kind of keep an eye on Oak Grove a, a great start 2-0 and they took care of Wayne County 41 to 19 and they've got a big matchup against Laurel Laurel will not want to lose two in a row they haven't done that very often over this last four or five year stretch under Coach Breland so that will be a, a good score to look out for it will be that Oak Grove Laurel ball game. Over across the way, East Central, the East Central Hornets. Uh, we've had a lot of time to set and reflect on last year uh, with a big game in the 4A South State Championship, but a good friend of ours, Seth Smith over there at East Central, uh, head head football coach for the Hornets, went to Biloxi and come out with a win six to nothing. Everybody was kind of shocked by the score, but big defensive game. Uh, between this East Central and Biloxi. Yeah, what's cool about the podcast, being able to gather information and different coaches all over the place. And Seth Smith, actually, if you'll remember back last week, was a guest on the podcast, mentioned how tough that defense was from Biloxi a year ago and just a, a slugfest, and East Central wins it. Six to zero gets their season started a week late, but they start their season one and oh, Hornets from East Central going to be really good in 4A South again and uh, just keep an eye on them as, as we'll follow Popperville and uh, it's already been said in the Sun-Herald potentially a, a Hornet Bowl part two in South State there's a lot of football in between the two but we'll definitely uh, keep an eye on East Central yep and this week East Central will be back at home and they'll face George County um, also last week Stone uh, the Tomcats from Stone County Faced Harrison Central and come up a little short in that one, 32 to 20. Uh, probably didn't set too well with Coach John Feaster. We know he has high expectations for that ball club right over there at Stone, and um, it, it's gonna he's gonna look for um, practice this week and a game to bounce back as they have to play Biloxi this coming up week at home. Yep, and something is. As cool as the podcast is, and we're enjoying it, and I think our listeners are enjoying it, but some foreshadowing, too. You heard Seth Smith on the podcast talk about how tough Biloxi's defense was going to be. That played out. 
And then you heard Coach Feaster talk about how young they were and kind of beat up they were going into that ball game. So uh, these coaches know what they have, and they're giving us access to their program. And lo and behold, they're right. So it's, it's pretty neat to see the way those games have played out and, and the access that we're getting. Yep, and as you mentioned, this uh, Thursday night actually kicks off uh, NCAA football. Uh, football is coming from everywhere. We have high school in its second week. NFL is two weeks away from getting started, and then the NCAA uh, gets the weekend to itself uh, this coming up weekend. And some games uh, that we're just going to go through, we're not going to hit on all of them, and we're not going to hit on you know much of these because some of them will be talked about later in this podcast. But uh, Mississippi State, number 18th in the nation, going to face SF Austin. Sits 30 this Saturday on ESPNU. A lot of high hopes for Mississippi State. Yep, and we'll have a chance to talk and dive deeper into that later in the podcast with beat writer Brett Hudson, and he gives awesome insight into this Mississippi State uh, program. Yep, and then you have number six. I always like the preseason preseason rankings about where people are going to – or where they're ranked, and they're already talking about the Final Four uh, in the college. So, uh, that's got a lot to play out. But you have number six, Washington, at number nine, Auburn, 2.30 kickoff on ABC. You know, I'm interested in looking at Auburn, too. Auburn's going to be a big uh, east side of the SEC. Plus, our uh, USM Golden Eagles have to go to Auburn this year. So, i will be kind of keeping an eye on that ball game. Yeah, I'm afraid as a USM graduate to kind of keep an eye on that. I don't, I'm not sure I want to see exactly how good Auburn's going to be this year. As I, I think they will be really good. Yep, Auburn's going to be uh, one to watch to come out of the east side of the SEC. Also, number one, Alabama. Of course, preseason ranked number one. They're going to face Louisville at 7 o'clock on ABC, and that's the uh, Camping World kickoff. So they've got the primetime spot on ABC to kind of show, uh, showcase their talents. A uh, little quarterback controversy kind of going on in Alabama. Uh, not knowing who's going to start, that hasn't come uh, to light yet. As we know, Coach Nick Saban is probably going to keep stuff uh, well under wraps until until he has to announce it. Yep, good thing about that Alabama game being a prime time at 7. You can go to bed at half and get ready for church the next morning. <laughs> yep, because it will probably uh, be out of reach about halftime. Also, Sunday night. Uh, Miami and LSU, for the LSU listeners out there, they have LSU ranked preseason number 25 going into the season. Miami number eight. That game will be Sunday night at 6.30 on ABC. So kind of got football coming back on Sundays, just not – uh, the NFL version. So Sunday night football will feature Miami and LSU. Interesting as uh, anybody that follows that LSU program, same with the quarterback uh, position. Yet again, a question mark entering the season. That seems to be a recurring theme, and we'll see how that one plays out on ABC Sunday night. Yep, another game of our USM Golden Eagles playing home against Jackson State. We're going to talk more about that game uh, later on in the podcast, but it's ESPN Plus at 6 o'clock. Uh, so if you're not able to go to the game in Hattiesburg, subscribe to ESPN Plus and you can watch it and uh, listen to it right there at 6 o'clock. Yep, and something neat about that game, close to home here for the podcast and for our friendship uh, with Jason Baker. He will have the call for that game for ESPN+. Plus. Uh, Jason Baker, a friend of ours, as I've already mentioned, also a part of our radio crew on Friday nights covering the Popperville Hornets. I know he's fired up about getting that opportunity and well-deserved. He'll knock it out the park. Yep, uh, also – 
Ole Miss, Texas Tech, early kickoff, 11 o'clock on ESPN. It's the Avocare Texas kickoff. Like I said, we'll talk about that game in depth uh, coming up uh, later in the podcast. But Ole Miss looking to bounce back uh, from a rather disappointing season last year, and we'll have a tough opponent in Texas Tech. Yep, we'll go dive deeper into that ball game with Davis Potter of the Oxford Eagle. He's a beat writer for Ole Miss, and we'll get 10 to 15 minutes uh, with Mr. Potter, and he'll go into that ball game and also the expectations for Ole Miss on the season. And then also, dun-dun-dun-dun, Monday night football, but it's in the NCAA version. Monday night, number 20, Virginia Tech, and number 19, Florida State. 7 o'clock on ESPN. Also, Monday is Labor Day. So, get to get some Monday night football, but just in the college form. Should be a good game with Virginia Tech and Florida State. Yep, that's always a, a, a good ball game on that Monday night as you kind of wind down the long weekend and college football's arrived. And you get to watch one more on that Monday night. I like that they've added that to the schedule. Should be fun. We're standing by with head coach Teddy Edgar of the Pearl River Community College Wildcats. This interview is brought to you by Stonewalls Barbecue and Catering. And, Coach, it's game week, man. We certainly appreciate you taking time for the podcast tonight. Oh, no problem. I appreciate you having me. Coach Edgar, a guy that coached under uh, with the interim tag last year but earned that tag being removed by going 5-4 and four and beating some of his rivals um, what are the expectations, Coach Edgar, and how have they changed there uh, from just a year or two ago for your Pearl River Community College Wildcats? Um, well, you know, the expectations are they're high and they're, they're always going to be high because there's, there's been so much success there at Pearl River, and, um, you know, we're, we're excited about that. Um, you know, we're, we're uh, doing a very good job of, of – taking care of business, you know, off the field. And, and we started to have some success on the field last year, and we want to build on that and, and um, continue to improve and, and not go backwards. We want to make sure that we're, um, you know, getting to where our ultimate goal is, and, and that's to, um, you know, have ourselves a chance to, to win the South and, and to um, play for a state championship. Coach, and as we mentioned, it is game week. You will get uh, kicked off Thursday night there at home against Itawamba. Just tell us, Coach, when you talk about success, um, 19 state championships have been won at Pearl River Community College, two national championships. So there's that There's that success. And how does that help you when you're um, – I don't want to use the term rebuilding, but when you're building upon that and you go into people's living rooms and you're trying to motivate your team to play winning football. Um, you know, it, it's huge, but you know, it's, um, uh, it allows us to, to teach these kids that you're playing for something much bigger than themselves. You know, you're playing for, for a lot of tradition. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of guys that went through here that have put a lot of, hard work and, and effort into this program. And, um, it means a lot to a lot of people. So, um, you're, when you're, um, you know, working towards something, it's, it's a lot easier when you're, when you have something to play for. Coach. And I know just the, the few times that I've heard you spoke at, uh, speak at rotary events and different community events, that history means a lot to you for a guy that's not, uh, from this area, from, 
uh, from the north but have found yourself to Popperville to Pearl River County. Um, that's a neat history that the Wildcats have, and you've really bought into that history. Yeah, it's, it's great. You know, we, um, you know, just getting to know as many of the alumni, you know, that I've gotten to know over the last couple of years, and, you know, we've had unbelievable coaches here, you know, from, you know, Coach Arban, Coach Dobie Holden, you know, we, we got, I mean, there's, there's, that's a high expectation to, to live up to. And, you know, that's, that's my goal is to, those guys are extremely successful. Coach Hatton, you know, the coaches that have gone through here have been extremely, extremely successful and they've gone out to win a lot of football games and, and also, you know, put their, you know, everything I, I know about, you know, Coach Holden and, and Coach Arban is, is his players, their players love them and everything that, um, you know, they did for, or he did for them, and not just you know on the field, but uh, off the field, um, helping them be successful in their lives and and reaching their um, reaching their goals, you know, uh, outside of football. And so that's a you know that's that's an awesome awesome feeling. So I'm excited just to be a part of it. And coach, I've asked you enough about the history there. Let's talk about the present as y'all get kicked off, as I've mentioned on Thursday night there in Properville. Tell us about your offense, coach. We I've read uh, Oates and Franklin's their preview, the great job that they're doing putting out stuff on y'all's program there from your sure. SID. But just tell us that offense going to be a two-headed monster at the quarterback position, coach. Um. I, you know, right now, uh, I think it's going to all depend on, um, you know, what quarterback is, is putting us in position to win. They both have tools that can help us be successful, and they both bring a couple different things to, to the offense. And so they're both going to play. Um, I, I really don't know, you know, how, how much uh, each one is going to play. Uh, but, you know, it's going to be, you know, who's going to put us in best position to be successful. And then joining them in the backfield – uh, some local guys, you know, without the districts, uh, sometimes uh, you won't see a backfield full of local guys, but that's what the fans for Pro River Community College will find. Just tell us about the guys that will be toting the pigskin for the Wildcats, Coach. Yeah, we've been lucky the last couple of years to have uh, industry guys that are running backs. I mean, it's it's great football. I think we got the best, uh, you know, local districts in, in all of, um, you know, Mississippi, and, um, you know, we got – uh, Jesse Purnell from Poplarville, who, who has uh, come in and done a great job for us, and uh, Ron Thompson, um, you know, from Jeff Davis. You know, both those guys are uh, extremely talented. They're, they're tough runners. They're physical runners. Um, you know, they're they're gonna they can make you miss, but they're, they're also gonna run you over if they need to. And then, you know, we got two young guys in uh, T.J. Walsh and uh, Marquise Cherry from Hancock, who again is a big physical back big physical back and from what I can read and understand and and see from press clippings and and every time I believe that you're talked to coach you praise your offensive line coach and that offensive line so that seems to be mean and physical o-line and uh, most football coaches like to talk about that line of scrimmage what will your offensive line be like coach um you know we're going to be uh saying they're going to be scrappy they're going to be you know physical they're going to know their assignment um, we're, we're going to be young, you know, we, we, we got one returning starter, uh, with Ivory Scott coming back. Um, but you know, we'll, we'll be young at that, uh, in that area, but you know, we got, we got a good group of guys that are working hard and, 
and they're taking down the philosophy of what you know we expect out of them, and and that we need to run the football and run it effectively. So, you know, they're they're really uh, embracing that, and and uh, we're we're gonna uh, they're gonna get after people. Coach, how does it help to have a guy like Metcalf on your on your staff with with not only the notoriety that he brings, but also the experience uh, at the highest level and the things that he can pour into these kids? Um, I mean, you, you can't put a can't put a price tag on it. He's he's as good as it gets. Uh, you know, with these guys on and off the field, he he really holds them accountable for what he expects, and you know. His expectations are high because of what he was able to achieve, and so um, you know he holds these kids to the same accountability and and um, expectations that he would have for himself. So he demands it out of them, and that's what makes him a really good coach. And they respond to it, and that's why um, you know we've we've had good offensive lines here uh, the last few years with Coach Metcalf. We're joined once again by head coach Ted Egger. Uh, for the coach's interview brought to you by Stonewall's Barbecue and Catering. And, Coach, just talk a little bit about the – you're talking about the expectations of the of the team. and you, you mentioned the offense and the defense. But what about the expectations uh, from the coaching staff as a whole as you put your goals upon these, uh, these assistant coaches and stuff? Just talk, talk about how that camaraderie has begun – uh, to jail as you had the interim tag removed, but you, with you and the and the coaching staff. Well, you know the the truth is, uh, you know I wouldn't have had the interim tag removed if it wasn't for for the for my assistant coaches. Um, they're they're very much uh, a part of this as as anybody. I mean, they did such a great job last year under tough circumstances. Um, you know, really pulling together and and getting the job done. You know and and so, you know, for me, I owe everything to them because, um, you know, what they were able to do with, with their position groups and, you know, um, their side of the ball and, um, you know, their responsibilities, it's, it's a group effort. And, um, you know, these guys do a great job, and we're lucky to have the same staff for the most part back this year as we had last year. And, and um, you know, it's just good to have that consistency. And, you know, and now we've worked together for a couple of years. You're, you're, you're kind of, um, you're still learning how to get better as a staff and and uh, work together. Um, you know, uh, as we go a little bit, but you know, we work really well together, and we know what to expect out of each other, and um, so it's been good. Coach, we've got you uh, already to kind of walk us through the offensive side. Tell us about your defense. Um, and, and particularly a guy that we got to cover, Jameric Waller, a defensive end that played there at Popperville. But tell us what you expect from your defense and another guy, Jalen Wilson from the Bay, that kind of jumped out at FIM that's going to be a freshman for you. What do you expect sure. out of that, that side of the football? Um, you know, I expect to fly around and, and make plays. I think we're um, as athletic as we've ever been uh, on that side of the ball. I'm excited about, you know, what, what we're going to be able to do um, Jameric is a guy that we're looking to to, um, you know, be a leader, and and uh, he's got he's got the most experience on the defensive line. Again, we're going to return one from last year, and that's him. Uh, the rest of the guys are going to be, um, you know, freshmen, new new guys. Um, our experience is more at the linebackers. We got we got a couple guys back that played last year, and, and uh, Corey and uh, Reggie Williams from Hattiesburg. 
you know, they, they both bring a lot of experience. So we're excited about those guys. And then, you know, our secondary, um, Kyron Norwood returns from last year and Damian Gray. And then the rest of the guys are going to be young. And we got a couple, um, you know, we got a few guys from Jeff Davis that are going to be key players for us. And, uh, so I, I'm excited about what, what they're going to be able to do. You know, right now we're just kind of putting the finishing touches on it for this week's game plan. And, and, um, I'm excited to watch these guys go play. Coach, you mentioned the finishing touches. Um, We'll wrap it up by asking this. The new video board at the stadium will be ready and waiting for everybody to come out and support the Wildcats. Uh, this Thursday, I believe that's a 6 o'clock kickoff as y'all will be hosting Etiwamba. How important uh, to the program, to the kids, to pack Doby holding on Thursday night? Oh, it's so important. You know, we're we're excited about the new facility upgrades and, you know, the scoreboard and, you know, that, that just goes to show that we're at a place where, um, you know, people, people care about your success and care about, um, you know, these kids. And, you know, I'm just thankful that we're, we're able to have, you know, such a, such a great, great thing. Um, you know, the, the, we need, we need to get the fans out and pack this place in that the video scoreboard is a sight to see now, you know, they, they put that thing up and it's, uh, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, we're excited about the direction uh, that you have the program headed and the college as a whole, the direction that it's headed. Coach, we certainly appreciate you taking time on a Monday night of y'all's first game. It means a lot to us that you would uh, allot some time for us this evening, man. Oh, shoot. Thank you very much. I, I'm really excited that you have me. And, and you know, anytime, I, I love, I love uh, talking to you. I appreciate it, Coach. Thank you very much, sir. Okay, thank you. Tonight joining the podcast is Nick Suss, beat writer for Southern Miss with the Hattiesburg American on this Bank Plus interview with Nick. And Nick, thanks for taking time, man. We know you're busy. We appreciate you joining the podcast tonight. Well, I can always make minutes to talk. (laughs) Well, we certainly um, appreciate that. And Nick, just as we are in game week, kind of give us – I hate to use the term outsiders, but as you've made your way into the scene of Southern Miss football, what are your expectations as we enter this first week? Expectations for the season or for the game? For the season. For the season, I think that the expectations everybody has are pretty much spot on. This is going to be between five and eight win team, five being the low end, eight being the high end. Realistically, probably six or seven is – your safe end. And I think the reason that people are saying that is there's so much unknown about this team. Even if some of these guys feel like they're bankable, no one on this offense has ever produced. You had maybe four games of production at Tez Parks, maybe four uh, games of production at George Payne, but none of the receivers have ever done very much. None of the running backs have ever done much. And none of the quarterbacks have ever taken a division one snap. So it seems like there's talent, the upside, maybe you can get to eight or nine wins in a weaker conference USA West year, but it's hard to say much more than six or seven wins just because you have no idea what these guys are going to look like, how they're going to play together. I've been blessed to be able to watch these scrimmages. I see what they look like against air and against their own team, but until they strap it on on Saturday, it's going to be really hard to say, what you can expect from a team with so many question marks. And one of those question marks, uh, Nick, as we 
turn to game week is at quarterback. You know, uh, yeah, that became a larger question mark uh, with the suspension of Greg. So speak into that, man. What can we expect? You did a, a great article on on the guy that's going to be back there as a signal caller. Speak to what you've kind of learned about the new quarterback for Southern Miss. Yeah, Jack Abraham is going to start on Saturday. I think it would be kind of foolish to say he's going to be the only quarterback who's going to play. I expect Marcelo Rodriguez to get a couple of reps, maybe just in the fourth quarter as the game is in hand, if it is in hand. But I, I think Jack Abraham is the guy. He kind of fits your mold of what Southern Miss fans are used to prior to the Quadre Griggs and Keon Howard era. He's a drop-back passer. He's going to throw well in the spread. He's going to fit the offense that Shannon Dawson was known to have ran before he got to Southern Miss. Maybe a little bit more like a Nick Mullins than any of the guys who are on this roster. He's going to be accurate. He's going to make the right reads. He's going to be poised. He's maybe not the most mobile guy, but he can move if necessary. The questions on him are, is he going to be able to absorb the hits? Is he going to be a guy who can get back up. I know he can take a hit, but how many hits can he take? And then also, will his arm be big enough to survive in this offense and also in this league? I know he's going to be very good at the short and intermediate passing, but how will he look on the big plays? I think those are the biggest questions with him, but I do think it's pretty obvious between him, Marcelo Rodriguez, and Tate Watley that he is the best quarterback Southern Miss has at its disposal. And Nick, when you look at quarterback play, sometimes the best friend of that uh, quarterback would question is a great running game, replacing a lot in production and spectacular plays, replacing Edo Smith. What, what will that committee or guy look like in the backfield trying to tote the load for Southern Miss? Yeah, it's going to be six guys, realistically. I, I, I think only five this first game, but I think by the end of the season, you're going to have six guys by for playing time, Tez Parks is your safest bet for who's going to be the bell cow if there is one, but I expect Tez, George Payne, T-Rod Daniels, Stephen Anderson, Travensky Mosley, and then hopefully by the end of the year, even Darius Mayberry to kind of rotate through a really different carousel kind of running back game. They all serve different roles. Tez is your modern third down, catch the ball at the backfield kind of guy, your jack-of-all-trades. T-Rod is your speed guy. George Payne is your power uh, from probably tackle to tackle guy. Steven Anderson is your power from center to center guy. And then you have Travensky Mosley, who's your shifty little Darren Sproles to quiz Rogers kind of back. And then you have Dave, Darius Mayberry, who is the one cut and he's gone kind of guy if his knee is healthy and if he's trusting it. I think they all serve different roles. I'd be a little surprised if Mayberry plays that much this Saturday just based off of what I've seen from him in recent scrimmages and recent practices. But I do think we're going to see all of those guys worked in. And I asked Shannon Dawson about this today. They're pretty much going to say, who's the hot hand today? Let's give it to him. If someone establishes himself as Edo-type talent and gets to play every game, that'd be a benefit for this team because you'd have a 1,000-yard rusher kind of guy. But I do think that the first quarter oftentimes this year is going to be about figuring out who works best against a certain defensive scheme. 
Nick, when you look at the questions, you, you've mentioned it, that wide gap on what this team is going to be because so many questions. Questions on defense, only three retarding, uh, returning starters there, uh, a coordinator that's uh, new. What, if any, are the strengths of that defense coming back that are known? And with that, is, are they going to be able to uh, stop some people? You've mentioned a, a lesser conference USA. The schedule may help in that regard, but defensively, what do you look for out of the Golden Eagles? Yeah, to start with the, the defense part of that question, I do think that the linebacking core is going to be very strong. Everybody knows Rakeem Booth was a freshman All-American last year. He's going to be a guy that's going to be called upon to play a lot. But they also have a senior in Jeremy Sangster, a senior in Sherrod Ruff, a junior in Paxton Scrimshaw, who I expect all of them to get a lot of playing time. That's four very talented, experienced linebackers, not to mention Walden Davis, a converted safety, who's going to be a very talented nickel linebacker on this team. Not to mention Tyree Evans, the junior college transfer, who's the quintessential motor guy, who I think is going to be a lock to play on special teams and is also going to earn his way onto the field at some point. And Sandra Latham as your seventh linebacker in that group, that's way too good of a guy to be your seventh. I think that might actually be eighth, uh, based off of the guys I've mentioned. That's a ton of linebacking talent. They're going to rotate that through. That's not even mentioning Darian Yancey, who's kind of a flex linebacker defensive lineman. They have so many bodies in that room. That's going to be the strength of the defense. And it's going to make up for a lot of holes in depth on the defensive line and experience in the secondary. Because the defensive line, the guys they have coming back are good. It's just they don't have that many bodies in the defensive line room. And then the secondary has the opposite problem. A lot of bodies, a lot of talent, but only Picasso Nelson really has much experience at the D1 level. You can have guys like Ty Williams and Kyle Hemby who are standouts at the JUCO level but maybe haven't played yet in Division One. So I think the linebacking core is going to have to cover up for a lot of mistakes be it because of tiredness or experience lacking. But to get to your grander question about can this team string together some wins and can this defense lead it to some stuff, I don't know. It's going to be really tough. I, I could 100% believe this team going 6-0 and at home and 0-6 and on the road. Mm. That's, that's how diametric the schedule is. You brought it up. The schedule could do them some favors, but it could also hurt them in the long run, because going to App State, going to North Texas, going to UTEP, going to Auburn, going to Charlotte, going to uh, what's it, UAB, those are your six road games. You could theoretically lose all six of those games, but then you could theoretically win all six of your home games. The schedule is shaken out where you're going to see a lot of success at home, but they're going to have to steal a couple of games on the road for this to be a bowl-eligible team. Once again, we're joined by Nick Suss the beat writer for the Hattiesburg American covering USM, the beat writer interview brought to you by Bank Plus. And, Nick, as you're down around the sidelines and you're at practices and the scrimmages around Coach uh, Coach Hobson all the time and you're looking, what is the vibe are you getting from him and his coaching staff as, as, they're, as they went through the spring and the summer, but as they're entering this first game, uh, at the Rock hosting uh, Jackson State this Saturday. Just what's the vibe from this coaching staff trying to gel this team together with so many few returning starters on the defense and the new offensive uh, system coming in play? I think if you would have asked me that question a week ago, I would have had a very different answer than I do now. 
Because coming out of the second scrimmage, it felt like the coaches were a little nervous. I think that the last week things have really shored up. I think they challenged Jack Abraham to step up and win the job, and I think he did. The offense as a whole has gotten healthier just in the last eight days. They've gotten back Tez Parks. They've gotten back T-Rod Daniels. They've gotten back Jordan Mitchell, uh, Michael Harris. A lot of these guys were not practicing, and now they are. I think they're healthier. I think they're stronger, and I think they're gelling a little bit better than maybe they were through the first two weeks of camp. So I think the vibe is a little bit looser than it was. I, I don't see as much uh, hooting and hollering on the sideline, which is obviously a benefit of feeling better about the team. But you never know how a team is going to react to game day conditions. They've done such a good job of simulating what you're going to expect from a game, but there's no true way to do that without playing a game. And I think when it comes down to it, that's the thing we're going to have to see most on Saturday. Nick, you've got a different perspective. I believe you were covering uh, or following LSU before you got to the Southern Miss beat. As you've gotten here and you see Coach Hobson signed an extension, I believe that was, I guess, last week. What what state do you find the program in as you begin to really dive into um, working this Southern Miss beat? What, What do you have to say about the program as a fresh set of eyes? I think that the thing people have always said to be true about Southern Miss is very evidently true. And that is the idea that these people, whether they're the players, the coaches, the administrators, they all have an attitude like they were overlooked. Whether you want to call it the nasty bunch mentality or the chip on their shoulder mentality or realism, whichever way you want to look at it, whichever lens it is, these are guys who feel like they are better than the national perception gives them. And because of that, you have a lot of scrappiness. You have a lot of people willing to go out there and put everything on the line to validate themselves, to prove themselves right. And I think from, from top down, from John Gilbert and Jay Hobson and these people at the top to your fourth string safety, you see that attitude. And I think that's super evident about Southern Miss. But behind all of that, to answer your question of where is this program at, it's doing the best it can. That's not to say Jay Hobson is a great coach. That's not to say Jay Hobson is an awful coach. That's not to say anything in between. This program is doing what it can. It is restrained by how much money it can make. It's a small school in a smallish market that doesn't have great student population, that doesn't get great student fees, that stadium is constrained by how many people are around and how many fans the school has. And for the school to succeed as much as it does in the win and loss column, not just in football, but in all sports, given what is stacked up against it, it's doing the best it can. Whether or not that's going to eventually get them into a power conference or get them into a 10-win national discussion or get them ranked or earn Jay Hobson all the bonuses and incentives that are written into his contract, I don't know. I don't know if the best it can can ever get this team back into the national discussion, but I do think it's very admirable how well this team is doing just on the field, the product on the field, given what it's stacked up against. It's the team with the second worst revenue in the FBS, and it's been to a bowl game three years in a row, had 15 wins in the last two years under Jay Hobson. That is making the best of a bad situation. 
some fans might not want to hear it that way. But I do think that's a positive, that this school can do what it can, given what it's stacked up against. Well, and Nick, we certainly appreciate your perspective, and, and you certainly at this point of your coverage have an awesome perspective, too, from covering another school, coming in with a fresh set of eyes uh, and seeing the program in a different light. And so we certainly appreciate you enlightening our listeners tonight, and we certainly appreciate your coverage of Southern Miss. Nick, where can our listeners find you and see your great coverage of Southern Miss? Yeah, you can find me at the HattiesburgAmerican.com. That's just HattiesburgAmerican.com. And on Twitter, I'm at Nick Suss, N-I-C-K-S-U-S-S. I tweet about things. Yeah, you tweet about music and, <laughs> and oatmeal cookies. I've learned that much about you along with your other great coverage. So um, we certainly appreciate you joining us tonight. Oh, I'm happy to help out, man. Thank you, Nick. We have Brett Hudson joining us. He works the Mississippi State. Uh, beat for the dispatch and Brett high expectations there and start Vegas is we're in game week and maroon and white about as high as expectations as I've seen from there in a long long time yeah uh I think that's that's fair to say it's pretty uncommon that a that a first year head coach steps into expectations as as high as these just because most of the time when you have a first year head coach at a SEC school, it's because something went horribly wrong with, with the predecessor. Um, but that's obviously not the case here. Uh, Dan Mullen left the cupboard pretty full, and, and Joe Moorhead is expected to, to capitalize on that uh, pretty pretty much immediately. And, and he doesn't hide from that. You know, it would be it would be very easy for him to point to going to a four two five defense or all of the subtle nuances about the Moorhead offense that are very different from the Dan Mullen offense and, and say this is a, a growing pain here, but he, he doesn't do that. He knows he's got a roster that is as good as Mississippi State has ever had it, and he, he doesn't really shy away from the expectations that it should win at that level. Well, Brett, you've mentioned right away Coach Moorhead, and just from an outsider um, looking – Ian, you have the chance to be around this program on the daily. What is Coach Moorhead like? He seems to be a super likable guy. Uh, what What is your uh, take on Coach Moorhead and his time there in Starkville so far? Uh, yeah, it, you know, you you, uh, you talk to former players and people that have worked for him, and, and they have a hard time explaining Joe's confidence because – when, when you say someone is confident but not cocky, it kind of gives this insinuation that he's like right on that line of between confidence and cocky, right? Obviously overconfident to the point of, of cocky, but Joe's, Joe's confidence doesn't really translate that way. Joe, I mean, if, if I realize what I'm about to say is an oxymoron, but understated confidence, if, that, if such a thing existed, that would be what, what Joe Moorhead uh, has when when he says something about his system and when he says something about it that, that works, he says it so matter of factly uh, with with that confidence that that you believe it because he's saying facts most of the time. That's another thing. It's pretty easy to be confident when you can point to the track record that he's had at at Penn State and Fordham and even going back in some of his small school stops before that at places like Akron and UConn. Um, he's he's had success everywhere he's 
he's went. Uh, and, and he's definitely a fun person to to be around. He's kind of a conversational chameleon. Uh, he can he can comfortably uh, work his way through conversations on on a lot of different topics. I actually, I uh, I cover a little bit of Starkville High football for for the Dispatch too, and uh, I saw his, his son is a sophomore offensive lineman uh, for for Starkville High. Mason Moorhead uh, doesn't play much. Obviously, he's a sophomore. He's got some time to throw into his body. But I saw uh, Coach get to their first game of the season a couple weeks ago, uh, probably midway through the second quarter or something like that. He just kind of stood by the end zone, and there were fans talking to him the, pretty much the entire time he was there. And God only knows some of the ridiculous things that were being said to him on that on that night. But he uh, he had a smile on his face the, the entire time. Uh, seemed to be enjoying himself. And I, I went over there and talked to him for a few minutes, and he, He's pleased to be speaking to me, which very well could have been an act, but still, that's not an act that, that most head football coaches in the SEC are willing to are willing to give. So he's kind of a, a change of pace in, in that regard from the crusty Southern SEC head football coach that that we're so we're so used to. Not naming names of the ones at Alabama and Georgia, for instance. <laughs> Once again, we're joined by Brett Hudson. Uh, from the commercial dispatch beat writer covering Mississippi State. Uh, this beat writer interview is brought to you by Advantage Insurance Company. And Brett, you you was you mentioned some of them other coaches around the SEC, aka Alabama and and some Ole Miss and some of them other other schools. But ESPN has the Mississippi State Bulldogs number eighteen. There's a lot of talk around the SEC West as Mississippi State being one of them ones to kind of get up there and fight for that spot against an Alabama uh, on that side of the, of the SEC. Talk about how, how, that's, how that's related to going into this season with some, so many off-season uh, off things that has been going on. Yeah, I mean, it's, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give everyone involved credit. Uh, it kind of goes back to what I said earlier. None of them have used – the turmoil as as an excuse, be it the the coaching turmoil from from January or the the turmoil of today's news. Today being um, today being Monday for for the podcast listeners, and we'll get to the obvious news from from that later on, I'm sure. But um, no one's used any of that as as an excuse because they know. I'll, I'll use the quote that the the starting Nickelback Brian Cole gave me they they know they have something special they know that they have something that quite frankly uh, these are my words not his isn't seen all that often here at mississippi state university you don't see teams put together like this where it's just so obvious on paper that they should be a top 25 team you don't see that all that often here at mississippi state they know that that's something special and they have to to capitalize on, on that, it's it's pretty. It's just that simple, uh, quite honestly, uh, for for them. There's nothing. There's nothing more to it. There's nothing less to it. They know that they have everything they need to be really, really good, and and they have every a, expectation of of doing that. I kind of liken it to the 2014 season, uh, where where you remember Mississippi State was number one for for a few weeks, but I mean Alabama ultimately won the West that year. But I think what what's more important here is. Looking at Mississippi State and Auburn, those two teams, when they played, they were number two and number three. That game looked like it was going to decide number two in, in the SEC West. Ultimately, Auburn faltered down the stretch, and Ole Miss won the egg bowl to, to mess that up. But because Mississippi State won that game, 
they still finished second in the West, even with how uh, disappointing the final three weeks of, of that season were. I, I could see this season playing out very much the same way, because if they get through the Florida game undefeated, they'll be 5-0 and going into October with, with Auburn coming to town. Auburn's an incredible football team this year. All of, all of the stars aligned for, for a very 2014-like trek where, where Auburn and Mississippi State ultimately play each other in the first six weeks of the season for almost like a number one contender match you see in, in boxing for, for the right to, to go to Alabama and say, we're, we're your top competition, but let's see if you can beat us. And what a scene that would be, too, if that if that holds true. A, a curveball, as you alluded to the news today, um, Nick Fitzgerald, for all intents and purposes, uh, a Heisman Trophy candidate, going to sit the first week with a suspension. And, Brett, did anybody around the program uh, see this coming? And tell us what you know about the suspension. No, I'll, I'll, I'll give them credit. This was, this was pretty tight-lipped. Uh, especially for for the incident in, in question, as Joe Moore has said to have happened in March. Um, that's pretty impressive that, that something happened in March, and there were clearly some decisions made within the program at the time um, to happen in March, and that he is able to, to make it until August 27th with with not a word in, in the public sphere. That, that's pretty impressive. Um I mean, the, what we know right now is the nuts and bolts. It's a it's an undisclosed violation of team rules. He will be suspended for one game, the Stephen F. Austin game, and he will be back for for week two when when Mississippi State has to go to the land of the wizard Bill Snyder, uh, Kansas State, for for an 11 a.m. game. Um, mm. I mean, that's 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 what this situation is. And obviously, a lot of people are pointing to the Taxpayer Bowl, where the backup, Keaton Thompson, led led Mississippi State to, to win that game. That's all obviously fair, but I think I think it's more than that. I, I got to see Keaton Thompson in high school in the New Orleans area. He went to Landry Walker um, in, in the North New Orleans area, I believe, and he was transcendent in, in a state that obviously has a lot of high school football talent. Just You can tell by how good LSU has been in the last 15 years or so, uh, minus the times that Les Miles made them fall flat on their face. The, the talent there is incredible, and when you've got someone that good that is transcendent in that state, he's obviously got a really good shot at being a pretty good uh, college football player, and I think he, he proved that in, in his tax player bowl outing, and I would imagine this offense actually fits him a little bit better. Uh, it, it fits his arm, I mean. So he, he very well could be someone that, that puts up huge numbers, not only – this coming Saturday, but when Nick Fitzgerald leaves after this season, if Joe Moorhead stays and, and they can kind of get two years together, that would be really fun to see. Yeah, it's kind of ironic, huh, Brett, that you look at Dak and where he was recruited out of and now Thompson and where he was recruited out of, and both of those uh, LSU clubs during that time period could have really used a, a quarterback, so I'm sure that's not uh, lost on our Louisiana uh, listeners as uh, two good ones have made their way over to Starkville from the state of Louisiana. No, I, I couldn't agree more, and it's it's kind of – it's kind of what Mississippi State has to do, right? They they have to find ways to to steal folks from from outside of the state to be as good as they currently are. And you can look at this roster, and and there's proof of that all over the place. I mean, they've got a starting offensive lineman, uh, Deion Calhoun from from Alabama. I think he's from Alabama. Um, you've got the starting middle linebacker, um, 
Errol Thompson, he's from Alabama. Yes, Deion Calhoun is from, from Alabama. Nick Fitzgerald, when he comes back, he's from Georgia. Uh, there's, there's a lot of guys from, from around the, Mississippi, the state of Mississippi that are going to be pretty big parts of this team. Brett, when you look at this club, and I, I think you're on record as predicting a 10-2 and two, uh, Alabama mm-hmm. being a loss that you predicted, and then you kind of gave yourself some lead way on potentially that other loss. But when mm-hmm. you predict a team in that tough of a division to go 10-2, and two, week in and week out, Fitzgerald and then Simmons on the other side of the ball, those can be the two best players on the field when they're out there. That means a lot, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think I think Jeffrey Simmons and Montez Sweat are are a big reason why this team is going ten and two. And in my mind, it really that defensive line as a whole. I mean, they they put out the the depth chart uh, Monday, and we were we were looking at that on on the beat. I mean, there there are guys that Mississippi State has listed on its second and even third string that would probably be starting most other places in, in the SEC. I mean, obviously Alabama doesn't need defensive linemen from anyone, even from NFL teams, but um, in the SEC, I mean, these guys are, are incredible. Like Chauncey Rivers is listed as the second team defensive end behind Montez Sweat, and he would start basically mm-hmm. anywhere in the nation. Uh, look at Trey Brown, a very underrated defensive tackle. I think a lot of people are going to learn about him this year as he gets more more red. Both Kobe Jones and Marquis Spencer on on the other end. Those are both guys that would probably start at half of the SEC schools, if not more. And and what's crazy about this week's depth chart is it does not include Corey Thomas, who is also suspended for the Stephen F. Austin game for a violation of, of team rules. So he has to fit onto this ridiculously loaded depth chart somewhere once this Stephen F. Austin game is is in the rear view. So when when it goes to that that ten and two prediction i think the defensive line and, and jeffrey simmons is obviously a, a huge part of that there, there's no denying that and, and if nick Fitzgerald, once he does come back can do the things that most more head quarterbacks do uh then there's there's no reason to i feel i still feel pretty good about 10 and 2 put it put it that way there's nothing that's happened this preseason that's that's made me fear that that 10 and 2 prediction i don't imagine anything will throughout really the entire month of September, let's say, do something stupid and drop the Kansas State or the Kentucky game. Brett, when you look at the 10-2, and two, what about this team? We've talked about Jeffrey Simmons and the potential really for that defense to be a top 10, top 15 in the nation type defense. We talked about uh, Fitzgerald, as good as he is, and now in Moorhead's system, he maybe ticks up uh, in his completion percentage. What growth or what top end can they maybe reach to have a 10 and two seasons going to be special, but the beating Alabama type really, really special season. What do they need to grow a little bit? I mean, this team isn't far from potentially having just an incredibly special year there in Starkville. Uh, yeah. So two, two areas of, of growth for me, one cornerback, uh, it's not bad, but it's not elite. Uh, now, I, I do think that some of that is influenced by how Todd Grantham uses his corner. Last year's defensive coordinator, Todd Grantham, uh, corners are, are, are basically stoppers, for, for lack of a better word. They're, they're a way to buy um, their, their pass rushers' time 
to get to the quarterback and, and they're a way to kind of hold wide receivers up so so Todd can can do some of the, the funky, exotic things that he likes to do with with safeties in terms of both bringing them on blitzes and in uh, disguising coverages. Uh, Bob Shoup doesn't use corners that way. He's, he's not afraid to put them in a zone, let them read the quarterback, and, and jump a slant to, to pick somebody off. Uh, and I'd imagine they're going to get a lot of opportunities to, to do so this year, given how much the quick game is involved in, in today's college football offense. Um, so I think corner is a place that you're really looking. But the, the make-or-break position for, for me is the wide receiver group. Um, last year, Donald Gray and Gabe Miles' injuries really hurt this offense. I mean, I, I actually was just looking it up for, for a story that will almost certainly be on cdispatch.com by the time this podcast comes up. In terms of yards per attempt last year, they were 118th in the nation mm. because they basically had no one to throw to. Uh, and I don't mean any disrespect to Jesse Jackson. Jesse Jackson did awesome things as a possession guy last year, but even, I mean, he was basically alone. There were so many things that that wide receiving core could not provide, mostly because they were leaning on redshirt freshmen and inexperienced players and guys that just frankly weren't ready to go to battle with SEC defensive backs. I think some of those guys are ready for that now, and they've got new additions in in the program. They got Stephen Gidry in the program. They got Devontae Wap Jason out of, out of uh, New Orleans in the program. Uh, this, this wide receiver group should be good enough. Uh, Austin Williams is another one. He, he redshirted last year. Uh, I think there are a lot of people, myself included, that wonder why mm. he redshirted last year. Uh, but he's, he's available now in the slot. I, I expect really big things out of, out of him. Uh, but all of that is potential play, right? Like we don't mm. know what Austin Williams is going to do yet. We don't know what Gidry's going to be. Uh, we don't know if some of those guys like Osiris Mitchell and Jamal Couch and Dedrick Thomas have taken that next step in their careers of this offense live. If those wide receivers can do all of the things that a Joe Moorhead offense needs them to do, if they can challenge defenses deep, if they can get behind safeties or get in a situation where they can consistently beat safeties for deep balls down the field, then all bets are off with with this team, that ten and two is very much in question, and and they they could do more because look at the teams that have beaten Alabama and Tuscaloosa in, in recent years. Other than the the abomination that was the game of the century, teams that beat Alabama are the ones that bomb, are mm-hmm. the ones that test Alabama down the field. And if Mississippi State has the wide receivers to do that, they definitely have the system to do it. That they definitely have a head coach that is not afraid to give it a shot. He's not going to be afraid to go into Tuscaloosa and let that thing fly a few times. But none of that matters if you don't have the wide receivers to catch it. That's what hurt this team last year. And if they can avoid that tripping block this year, 10-2 uh, and two is, is almost a – well, 9-3 and three is a baseline, and 10-2 and two is, is right there for the taking. Yep, I agree, Brett. And we certainly appreciate uh, your great information on the program and – uh, just remind our listeners where they can find you, Brett. And we hope to visit with you again, uh, especially if State's doing what everybody's predicting them to do. We'll visit with you, the visit along with every probably else uh, that we can when they match up against Auburn. But tell our listeners where they can find you, Brett. Yeah, everything is on Twitter, at Brett underscore Hudson. For those of you who aren't on Twitter, I've got a Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash Brett Hudson Sports, but Twitter is 
is definitely the place to reach me if you want everything as it's happening uh, at Brett underscore Hudson. Thank you, Brett. We appreciate your time. Thank you, gentlemen. We're excited tonight to be joined by Davis Potter of the Oxford Eagle covering the Ole Miss beat. This interview is brought to you by Katie Cake and Company. Davis, uh, we appreciate you taking time. We realize it's busy game week uh, for you, and we certainly appreciate your precious uh, time here tonight. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Ole Miss, uh, Davis, let's get right to it. The expectations uh, for this club, what are – what are you you're you're an insider to the program what are the expectations from the outsiders and are those different from those closest to the program yeah i don't i don't really think there is a whole lot of difference in those um i just think you want to see um you know the natural progression uh moving into uh, the second year under matt luke um you know you, you want to uh win more games but i think you know, for both people inside and outside the program, um, I think there's a certain way that they want to see that that the progress happen. You know, um, you know, when you talk about Ole Miss, obviously, uh, you know, they've had one of the worst defenses in the country the last couple of years, particularly when it comes to um, trying to stop the run. Um, so, um, you know, you, you want to see you want to see improvement on the defensive side of the ball, which then you know allows you to be more competitive in some of these games. I mean, look, you don't want to. You don't want to go out there and, and lose Alabama 66-3. You don't want to lose to Auburn by four or five touchdowns. And, you know, you don't want to lose to LSU by two or three touchdowns. I mean, I, I think that that's really where um, this team has, has to make, make kind of make, take that next step in terms of improvement. Um, is, you know, not, not only, um, you know, not only improving um, defensively, but, but being able to, to stay close to some of these games to where, where they're not over at halftime. I mean, that's... That, that 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 that's not what you want, particularly when you, you know you're coming off some of that momentum um, at the end of the season uh, last year, where you were able to win three or four, and you know upset uh, Mississippi State on the road, and um, you know you know. So I think that's just kind of the expectation is is, is not only to be better, be better record wise, but be better in how you get there with improvement on the defensive side of the ball, be being more competitive against um, some of the better teams in the conference. Davis, when you look at the state of the program with the probation and then you've got one of their own there in the coaching uh, spot in Matt Luke, does that buy him a little more lead way and a little bit more patience from uh, the supporters of this program? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't really think it does. I think because, you, have, you know, going into this and, you know, at the end of the season when they were, you know, deciding on which direction they were going to go with the coach, I think I think the fan base will split. I think you had half of those that, that really liked the idea of keeping Matt Luke on and, and bringing on one of your guys um, for where, whatever that's worth um, and, kind of, and kind of sticking with the guys from that, you know, not only played there, but, you know, it has family that played there and has coached, you know, there more than half of his career. Um, you know, he's just kind of a guy that, that kind of knows the program inside and out. And then I think the other, you had the other half that kind of wanted a clean slate, kind of wanted to move on from, Anything associated um, with the Hugh Freeze era, and kind of get you know start over and, and move on, move in a different direction from all of that. So, uh, but but at the end of the day, look, man, you, you have to win games, and it, it's going to take um, a little while for them to do that. Obviously, he'll he'll have uh, you know two or three years to really try to get this thing back on track. You know, he got a full uh, four year contract when the interim tag was removed. So, 
Um, I don't think it's really any different than, than any other coach coming in and starting it. I mean, you're going to, you know, he, he, he's time to, um, you know, recruit his, his, his system and recruit his kind of players. Uh, but ultimately, you're going to have to win games. And that's, that's what every, you know, as long as they're keeping score on the scoreboard, you know, that's, that's what every coach and every program is going to be measured by. So, um, you know, if, if he's able to, to win more games and, and be more competitive and, um, you know, kind of, you know, really change um, the culture of this program and, and kind of change its identity, um, you know, and, and win some more games, but, you know, that, that'll obviously determine how long he sticks around. Once again, we're happy to be joined by Davis Potter from the Oxford Eagle uh, covering the Old Miss Rebels. And this uh, interview is brought to you by Katie Cake and Company. Davis, as you look at the uh, upcoming game this week, an early kickoff, 11 o'clock, uh, against Texas Tech on ESPN. It's uh, the Avocare Texas kickoff, as they're calling it. Um, what can the Ole Miss fans have to look forward to for this game on Saturday? You've been on the sidelines during the uh, during the training camp. You've been there around this program. Uh, what are some things that the that the Ole Miss fans can can look at or, or be looking for uh, against this matchup with Texas Tech? Yeah, well, I think offensively, you know. It, it, it starts with with the passing game. I mean, look, it, you know, Jordan Tyler came in and took over halfway through the year. Didn't didn't really skip a beat. Um, it's going to be interesting, I think, to see what he looks like against some of the better defenses that they play this year. You know, he didn't play against Auburn, didn't play against Alabama, didn't play against LSU. Some of the better defenses that um, were on their schedule last year. But uh, I don't think Texas Tech really falls into that category. Although Texas Tech does have a lot of experience coming back, they got ten starters back. Um, I think they led the Big 12 in turnovers last year. So um, that's more of a, of a big play defense. And, you know, you're going to be wary of, of the decisions you make and, and you know, the, them uh, you know, creating turnovers on that side of the ball. Um, but, like, I mean, we all know Ole Miss is, is, has one of, if not the best receiving core in the country. They're going to be able to, to move the ball through the air. Um, you know, you, you get a look at, at the junior college transfer and Scotty Phillips running back who gets the first crack at, um, taking over for Jordan Wilkins, uh, who's, you know, the first thousand yard rusher in nearly a decade there at Ole Miss and, um, gets to run behind one of the more experienced lines in the SEC with every starter coming back. So, you know, offensively, I think it's going to be a, a lot of what, what, what you've been seeing the last couple of years with how good the, the receiving core is and, um, having a senior quarterback back there. And defensively, I think the biggest thing is, is getting a look at kind of a youth movement, um, particularly in the front seven and, and there at linebacker. Um, you know, they're, they're starting a sophomore in Muhammad Sanogu as middle linebacker and then a true freshman, Kevante Ruggs, that outside linebacker. And, um, you know, that's a position that where they're having to uh, replace a lot of production. You know, as, as much slack as the linebacking core has received at Ole Miss the last few years, um, DeMarcus Gates was their leading tackler for the last three seasons. So, um, you know, he's stepping in there. He gives them a whole, I think it's a, an entirely different level of, um, just speed and athleticism, a guy that, that's rangy, um, you know, about 6'3", about 200 pounds, and um, can really run, kind of get sideline to sideline. And I think particularly in this game with the Texas Tech team that's obviously notorious for throwing the ball all over the field, um, they, they, I think there's a, there are two more athletic linebackers that will be able to, um, you know, play well in space and, and kind of give them that dimension um, in pass coverage where they really haven't had the last few years. And, you know, those guys are young and experienced. Um, you know, they're both making their first career start at the same time. So there's going to be some of those, some of those um, you know, young mistakes that you, that you just kind of have to deal with. But 
I think the biggest thing um, defensively is just getting a look at, at some of the some of the turnover on that side of the ball and seeing how those those new guys are stepping into big roles perform. Davis, when you look at that wide receiver core, just going back to that offense, that explosive group, talk to our listeners that may not be as familiar with the tight end, Dawson Knox, and what he's going to bring to this offense. Yeah, he's, he's a guy that really <laughs> gets lost in the shuffle a whole lot. Look, that's not really a knock on Dawson Knox. I mean, any tight end in this offense, when you're surrounded by three NFL receivers, is going to kind of get lost in the shuffle and get forgotten some. So, uh, but but uh, he, I mean he, he's an underrated athlete. Uh, I think he played football, basketball, and ran track in high school. Um, you know, so so he he's a guy that um, he's not just a stiff out there. I mean he's a, he's just starting tight end for a reason, and he can you know he's a guy that you know if, if defensively if you're if you're putting um, all your focus on trying to take away those receivers, he's a guy that can that can really work the middle of the field and has has um, you know sub four six speed where he, he can really stretch defenses vertically and has uh, you know has has good hands and um you know it's just kinda a little bit of everything that you're looking at from the tight end position and uh he enters this season healthy, which he didn't do last year. He played, you know, missed the first couple of games last season, um and then played the rest of the season with a with a stress fracture in his foot, but um had surgery in the off season and said he he said he feels hundred percent going to this year. So um, you know, yeah, he, I mean he, he's a guy that um you know, if, you know, like I mentioned earlier, you know, if you're, if you're putting all, all all your focus on on the receivers, um, definitely a guy that can work the middle of the field and um, kind of be that safety safety valve um, in the middle of the field if things break down or you know, you know on the rare occasion one of those receivers isn't able to get open. He's just he's a kind of another option there for Jordan Tomba to work with. Davis, what does it say about that side of the SEC when you look at what you've described with that wide receiver grouping, the quarterback play, this tight end, when you look at expectations and, and preseason forecasts that this Ole Miss club a lot of times in these preseason publications finds itself either at the bottom or near the bottom at the SEC West, even with all this arguably first through fourth round NFL talent. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it just speaks to the deficiencies that they have on the defensive side of the ball. You know, as, as much success as they've had recruiting uh, quarterbacks and receivers over the year, they've been just as bad at, at, at you know, recruiting and developing linebackers and, and even defensive backs to an extent. And, um, you know, it's it's just kind of – I mean, they, right now they have the makeup of you know, that prototypical Big 12 team. I mean, yeah. similar to what they're going to see Saturday. I mean, just, you know, so much – you know, for as much offense as they have and as much firepower as – if they can produce on that side of the ball, it's there's not a whole lot on the defensive side of the ball. And you know, if you're having to go out there and um, you know just try to outscore everybody, uh, and, uh, particularly in the SEC, where you're facing the defenses with this kind of size and speed, and, and um, you know that that can really shut you down once you become one dimensional. Um, you know, that, that's not a recipe for success. Um, so. Um, you know they, they've really got to. They've got. I think if they can just be average defensively, if they can get up to that level, um, you know, and not have, you know not be where you're turning around and you're giving up a 70 yard run for a touchdown or a 50 yard pass for a touchdown. You know, every other series, if they can, I think if they can do that and eliminate those big plays, um, you know, you have a better chance because if you can make you know if you make offensive drive the length of the field, um, you know, chances it's hard to do that. You know, over the course of 12, 15 plays, you know, if, if, if you're able to. You know, just keep everything in front of you. Maybe you force them into a mistake or once while get a turnover, um, or you know, or, or just you know, um, you know, get a turnover on downs and get you know some extra possessions on your for your offense. You know, and 
if they if they could just you know eliminate some of that and you know hold teams to twenty thirty points a game, you know I think they've got an offense good enough where you know that they could they could win eight games and possibly surprise and and, and win nine. I mean I, I see them going about seven and five this year, um, but you know I, you know that's you know defensively that that's just that's been the question that's still the question mark. It's been the question mark for a while, and they've got to they've got to figure out a way um, you know to to remedy that this season. Davis, tell our listeners where they can find you. I believe I was reading some of your work earlier today. You, you took an interesting perspective to the article. You were actually asking the offensive players how that defense was uh, coming along, and so I thought that was a great article. Where can our listeners go find that material? Yeah, so um, you can read me at uh, OxfordEagle.com. Um, that's, our, that's our website. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter um, at Davis E. Potter. Thank you, Davis, for your time tonight, bud. Yeah, man. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode, sponsored by Pearl River Community College, Stonewalls Barbecue and Catering, Bank Plus, Advantage Insurance Company, and Katie Cake and Company. Stay tuned for more episodes in the weeks to come.